He was like early to mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, more like uh, late eighties as well. Okay, so it would have been pay TV. Okay, yes, yeah. busty women, lots yes. of uh, boobs, bombs, and uh, explosives. Yes. So, and didn't he? No, he's not the one that lived with a harem. No, 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 he didn't live with that a harem. Was, he had a wife. Um, what Al Adamson or whatever yep. who did the the beings that stop mixed up beings who became stopped, mixed up yep. zombies yes, or yes, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he lived with a harem or something like that. We can all dream. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular. Names from all over the country. Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee, Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett, Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkel. This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you exclusively by our friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. I am your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and I am sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Stacey Shadows to Taya Valkyrie. A wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and who once wrestled under the moniker of Derek St. Homeless. With 20 years of experience, he's a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. He's scratching his head right now. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Hello. I just had an itch. I'm sorry. Okay, I thought you were questioning Uh, my Derek St. Holmes list. No, no. Derek St. Holmes is at the Totally Tool Wrestling 2 show. Explain that. Uh, Totally Tool Wrestling. That was a Joey Eastman creation. Hi, Joey. Uh, Long time listener. Yeah, I know. By the way, Uh, actually, that's one of the great. I love that Joey Eastman listens. He doesn't know who I am, but Joey Eastman. I told him this today, and I will repeat it now. Was one of the inspirations slash kick in the butt to make me do a podcast. Really? Because he's just like you should do a podcast. That's awesome. He's great. Didn't even know what that was. Oh yeah, met him a few times. Like I said, I'm sure he doesn't know who I am whatsoever, but. He's always been very gracious, a very nice guy. We've had a couple of fun conversations, always very enlightening, and um, just have always loved him. Where were we going with this? Uh, you were talking about uh, Tool Time. Uh, totally Tool Wrestling. Uh, that was just a, um, a parody wrestling show that was put on, uh, sprung from the mind of Joey Eastman, where everybody was given alternate gimmicks. That's where such epic characters as chester the molester came from (laughs) who was eric priest in a cop mustache Mm. oh it was so great when i saw him he was wearing like daisy duke cutoffs that had the pockets cut out so his ass was showing i like that with a crop top tee that just had like like the iron-on letters that just said horny on the front fun it was incredible should have did nambla uh no too far? No, yeah. Is that too far? Yeah, but Chester the Molester, like, somehow Kyle, you know was able is? to, uh, we don't want to, <laughs> somehow <laughs> able to chase kids around the ring. I was Derek St. Homeless, so I did the whole, like, got a grocery cart and, and. Do you know who you clothes. wrestled? Do you remember? Uh, yes, I wrestled a giant hot dog 
and rubber man. Uh, yeah, Dan Lawrence wearing a body condom uh, with a referee that was blind. I yes. think. Uh, I did also enjoy on this show I was on. There was a subplot that the other referee got bit by a werewolf, and over the course of the show, changed into a werewolf. That is the greatest thing. Oh ever. yes. Yeah, because like shit, serious. Like came, yeah, like came out for the first match, like with a bandage on his arm. Said, "Ah, oh, there was a dog or something backstage, but I can still do." It. Next match came out, had the fur glued to his head, and started to turn into the oh two counts one two like and, you know couldn't stop himself, and then finally maybe one more match came out again, had the full werewolf mask with the mitts on, and and this was uh, Joe Eastman idea. Yeah. Joe Eastman, I need to talk to you um, before next year's Mondo Lucha, if you could please. Yeah, uh, so it's a good show. So, seriously, that is probably one of the coolest things I've ever heard in my life. But this is good because when I first met Joey, he was a ring announcer. I had a very thick Boston accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a ring announcer for Frank, and I kind of looked at him, and he was pierced and had some like visible tattoos. He's like, well, I'm the ring announcer. And he says the only thing I said to him was, at least you're wearing a tie. Yes. And I turned around and marched away. But he turned into the a manager for AAW and uh, has since been, been gone on to become an advisor to Sidney Bacabella on the East Coast. Nice, yes. Um, Very familiar. Yeah, uh, a, a incredible personality. Goes back to the territories. He and I talk about working for Fritz, and it was just it was a good time back then. But Joey, uh, what a has stepped back from the business a little bit now, but I know when he was running Hot and Heavy in Illinois was one of my favorite managers on the scene because he got it and was able to mess with the formula, uh, the formula of being a professional wrestling manager, which is an archetype that's not really seen on TV anymore because the business nature of the business has changed. Uh, The manager is really needed for, uh, it's, it's a character presentation it's a character much like the commissioner or any other wrestler uh you would often put a manager with a foreign heel or somebody that couldn't talk because then the manager would cut the promo for the wrestler and the wrestler would do everything in the ring right um much like the midgets does that go back is there someone that is the that we can say who is the first manager or was it is that kind of again a very wide ranging thing many people claiming to be the first or many people yeah it's a it's a very wide-ranging thing there were like lord lansdowne had a valet in the 30s in ohio okay. so there I, there was undoubtedly something that happened there sure um well and we've discussed and you just said you know he had uh his uh valet or mm-hmm. with him so there's many different degrees i guess of like well what's the the official what do we look Again, as we talk about managers, like manager proper, what does that, what is that? What would that be? Because we had mentioned in a previous podcast, we talked about Missy Hyatt, and I asked you, is that is she, is she a manager, manager? or you valet? Said, no, or is she a val- she's a valet, and there is a difference. Does the, how would you, if you had to describe the manager, like this is what my interpretation of a manager in professional wrestling is, what, what would that be? Well, the conceit is the manager is the person out there guiding the career of the wrestler or wrestlers in the ring. Now, whether that is through, well, I take care of his financial or they get very uh, involved, um, the, the managers that you see on TV, that, that is a character that's being portrayed. Now, that's not to say that that manager backstage 
might not be you know an actual business manager sure or conversely wrestlers have business managers that you never see on tv right because they're taking care of business um jumping forward a little bit paul ellering was the manager for the road warriors on tv but also handled all of their affairs behind the scenes right because that was a concerted effort of the three of them like okay we're going to work together to make as much money as we can right they trusted in him so that was different uh luthez had strangler lewis coming on the road with him but like he wasn't a manager that sat at ringside and did anything like that more advisory so to speak on that but the character of the manager is essentially another personality or another character that's put out at ringside most commonly with the heel in order to you know further this further the storyline help sure. cheat or or whatever like that against the baby face it's automatically two on one so that there's the sympathy factor built in for the baby face there now when you have um a he or uh the heel you have the manager um was the manager often the crutch as well for like maybe an inexperienced wrestler taking on a larger role in a program somewhere absolutely um the manager character could be applied in two ways one, an established heel wrestler brings in another personality, another manager, which could be the wrestler actually guiding an inexperienced manager, or it's going to build to another storyline. Sure, sure. The other fashion that was done in the WWF and also in Memphis with Jimmy Hart was the manager would homestead, and then they would build up the heat, and any wrestler that came in would share in that heat of the wrestler. Gotcha. I.e., I know he's bad because he's standing next to Fred Blassie. Gotcha. Right. So it's a it's the visual basically setting the right telling the story. Setting or or up. a manager bringing in mercenaries and sure. stuff like that. The original managers too, though you said they you know usually accompanied foreigners to the ring or the the heel. Um, right off the bat, I'm assuming though that uh, were were managers put in place too as far as for them to cheat and heal or was it do you think at first it was a very I don't say genuine but it was an honest like this was the manager as an added character that had some personality but didn't interfere in the matches well it wouldn't necessarily have to interfere in the matches like Gary Hart uh developed his career like did not interfere in matches all that much right he got his heat on the interview yes and then Gary Hart was also uh, a manager that helped guide his his charges careers as well. Sure. Um, so they weren't always put out there to interfere in the matches, but they were put out there to gather interest and create heat on the microphone, right. especially for people that couldn't talk. Gotcha. gotcha. So this provided, like Bob Orton was known for having a stutter. That's why he always had a manager or teamed up with Piper. So he just had to stand there and look mean. Right. You know, incredible wrestler in the ring, but couldn't cut a promo very well. Sure, sure. Who would you say, if we were to look at it, the the whole big lineage and history of uh, managers, is there somebody that kind of kicked off like the, how we know? I don't say the because managers are so far and few between now, and like, but that hot streak of managers in the 80s and 90s is there like a template or somebody that basically set the mold for how that would be done i mean in your eyes or your opinion i think i feel like i know who i would think but i'm curious well i mean going way back you've got people like wild red berry who was with the kangaroos uh bobby davis who was out of the uh Ohio office that was with don fargo and went on to manage uh 
Buddy Rogers and yeah. such like that. So like these were the early proponents or the early characters that really stood out. But there were also like managers were also people like friends of the office that got old. Hey, we still want you to go on the road and get a job. Sure. So like they would be put in undercard matches and paid preliminary money. Okay, gotcha. Um, the first manager before um, Lou Albano in New York was a guy named Tony Angelo, sure. who was a Canadian wrestler that did a mobster gimmick. Okay. But he was there until like health issues forced him off the road, and that's what caused Lou Albano and them to come around. Gotcha. So the character was always present, uh, but a matter of different people, you, you, the people would always change. Right, right. Um, and I was also thinking, too, when it came to championships, world titles, uh, do you think that originally was the business afraid or shy to put a manager with a world champion? And did that change over time? Or were they, do you feel that things were okay? Are there any champions we can look at and say, oh, they, yes, they, there was already a, a manager in place for them? Uh, well, the big, uh, when you talk world champions, the big thing I'm going to go with is Bachwinkle and Heenan. Yes, yes. But in the NWA, um, like, Fez didn't, Fez wasn't going to have a manager. Right, right. So that was the, that's what took, uh, that's what kept it away from there, because that was seen as too gimmicky. Remember when uh, Muchnick and the NWA want to protect that championship, when Fritz von Erich was being considered for the title, they were going to call him Jack Adkisson. Yes, right. You know, they were going to call him by his real name because they wanted to preserve the purity, quote-unquote, sure. of that champion. Now, Thez had Strangler Lewis traveling with him as well. Again, to come out to ringside, say hi to the people, and then go back to the ring, he wouldn't get involved in the, the course of the match. But then you had other managers that came around later, uh, Fred Blassie, Gary Hart, right. people like that, that did stay at ringside and were used in the finish of the match. So if someone like J.J. Dillon uh, managing the horseman, managing Flair, so to speak, he just homesteaded on, in the Carolinas, though, right, on the East Coast, and then Flair would still go out and do his John. Well, I guess that was later on. Oh, yeah, this is all much way later. later because... That's way much later because Flair originally won the title and was just by himself. He was solo. He never had right. He never had anyone with him. Right, right. Sorry, well, but when Flair first won the title, that was still the NWA. He still had to be voted on to win, so right. they were still protecting that somewhat. Gotcha. J.J. Uh, Dillon didn't come around until Right, I, was, until yeah, no, I know, I was 80s. crossing my, my time frame. Um, so just kind of like we'll, we'll throw out some guys, and we'll just kind of talk about them a little bit. One of those guys, um, Abdullah Farouk, a.k.a. the Grand Wizard. Sure. Later on going to be that. Um he was very much instrumental uh, with the Sheik, the original Sheik. Yes, uh, he started off in, like, he was a an announcer yes. in Ohio and then got in with the Sheik. Now, a lot of these managers start out as wrestlers but just don't have the height or the size. But someone like Abdullah Farouk or the Grand Wizard never wrestled at all. He was just straight in a manager Correct. Right, right off the bat. Correct. Um, did that become an option for a lot of guys? Like I say, because like, Gary Hart wrestled, didn't he? Yeah, Gary Hart was a wrestler. Yeah, and Heenan was. Uh, Heenan kind of started off as a gopher, but was uh, like he started off as a manager and learned to work. Okay, like gotcha. that was just part of his education. Uh, did just run across a match of his from the early '80s in Japan, like it Bobby was Heenan. Bobby Heenan with Billy Robinson teaming against. Two guys, okay, like possibly two Japanese guys, but it was weird seeing Heenan. Like I know he wrestled for the AWA, 
Yeah. But like here, it was like a straightforward match. Oh, okay. You gotcha. Know? So it was like, oh, this was kind of interesting seeing him in a different milieu, but you know, that's how he made his money. Now, uh, most territories would have one main heel manager, right? They they weren't having multiple. Right. I mean, the East Coast did, though. I know, like WWE. Well, they, they had their... like the Unholy Three or the Trinity. Yes. Yeah. But that was just how they would cycle in their characters, and they kept their in-house characters. Sure. There weren't a lot of spaces for managers because once you have more than one manager on a card, it dilutes the gimmick down. Right, right. So, like, that manager would either be with one person or they would have a group, but it's rare that you would have feuding managers unless that was brought in. Now, let's get to the point of feuding managers. Uh, managers are always put with the heel, right? which eventually has to build up to that heel manager getting bumped at some point. Sure, sure. So that's just always the payoff that needs to happen. Um, when managers have been put with a baby face, it, it's very awkward because there's not really any reason for that manager to be there than to be a cheerleader right. and to get beat up to cause that baby face to want to get revenge. And they almost seem too... What's the term? They almost seem too pristine or too, like, white meat, so to speak, when you add that. Like, I remember, and I know it's a later, it's a 90s thing, but I think about the, um, when, what's his name, came out with Shawn Michaels. Um, Jose Lothario? Jose, Jose Lothario, and it just felt Super like. Super sock, Jose Lothario. Yeah, yeah, and it just kind of feels like uh, nothing feels, it almost feels too clean or too goody-goody. For a regular fan to get into, I feel I don't feel right, like the, but the there, but there's no reason there. for them to be there. Right, that's exactly it. Because the heel manager is there to help you ratchet up your hate for the heel, but you're not going to put anybody at ringside that's going to ratchet up your admiration for the baby face. Right. Now, you, you, let me ask this. Sense? No, it okay. makes perfect sense. So then, and again, not to stray off into valet territory, when valets were first introduced, though. Were they introduced for heat, or were they introduced on the side of the baby face? Uh, well, I'm gonna go with Gorgeous George. Yeah, and say that it was you know, the, right. Yeah, it was it, it was for heat. It was an attraction. Yeah, uh, but they weren't necessarily used for uh, to interfere in the ring so much as to be there and oh look at this guy with his pretty women. You know, right, right, right. You know, and you get that 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 feeling of disgust there. But it's hard to look at a baby face and say, why, you know, what's, I can't sympathize with this guy. He's got a beautiful woman of his side. I've got, I've got my fat wife. You right. Know, what are we going right. to do? So, yeah, there. Well, uh, Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth was a, a whole nother thing. Right. I and would almost put slow, her in that, point of valet. Right. Well, I was saying that was such a slow burn over so long that yeah. it's like we took the emotional ride with that. Right. That by the time that that turned, it's like we all felt like we married her. At that sure. SummerSlam, you're like sure, but you know, I think that we all we took that ride with them, and that that was mm-hmm. the case. Um, so, I mean, breaking it down, we're gonna let's look at some of the territories. And let's well, just see. wait. Have we gone through this concept as much as we have to? Uh, so, there's always, always with the heel, yeah. Create the two on one, help people talk a lot. May or may not manage backstage for them, but right. oftentimes is an established personality. Um, now. The pay for managers sure. no, was very one. interesting. In some places, like where managers were strict, like, hey, you're going to go out there with him tonight, like that manager might make preliminary pay. Okay. But people like Gary Hart, uh, Jim Cornette, Paul Ellering 
would factor in the fact that, hey, I'm out there cutting the interview. I'm building the heat for this match. My payday has to be the same sure. as everybody I'm with like because this is a team effort. Uh, Gary Hart talks in his book where he was teamed up with uh, the internationals. I can't remember. It was a German guy and some, some other guy. Okay. I, I don't remember the name. Um, a German guy and an Australian guy where the promoter on it. Oh, fair enough. Uh, they were called the internationals where the promoters paid them X, but gave Gary Hart half X. And he went to them and said, Hey guys, I got shorted on my pay. And they're like, well, you're new in the business. What do you want? So yeah. he didn't want to manage them anymore because there wasn't that. There's no team investment. Right. Yeah. Right. So some managers got paid, like Bobby Heenan also got paid equal to what everybody else got paid. Uh, now, a lot of people would have a problem with this because when you had your 16% of the house that was divvied out to everybody in the main event, if it's two single guys, they both get 8% of the house. But if it's three people, uh, so what's 16, they're getting 5 point yeah, right, something right. percent of the house. So that's cutting into their pocket. So there has to be an agreement that everybody's getting paid the same. Right. So Yeah, that's wild. And th- th- looking at how important they actually truly are, like you said, as the one getting the heat for the match itself. Right. Um, was it in Japan? No, it was in St. Louis. Like St. Louis, St. Louis didn't do managers until they brought in Bobby Heenan okay. because it was recognized how much of a part of that act he was. Gotcha. Okay. No, and that, that makes perfect sense. Um, so again, now, so let's get over to this. Let's talk about some of the territorial managers, people that homesteaded, stayed with the, these areas. I'm still trying to figure out who the internationals are before Kyle can look Kyle can't, he can't find it. He's going to keep looking while we go ahead. Um, and you would say, what would you say, the was there a boom for managers? Would you say, was it late 70s, 80s, as far as? Oh, no, no, just the territory just system. Territory like, had everybody it. had their manager. Gotcha. <clears throat> but it wouldn't be, it's not an, it wouldn't have been an option for everybody to break in like right. it is nowadays. Right. Excuse Na- me, cut this out. Is there a. Uh, just wait. I'm oh, sure. With this. Because nobody would, it wasn't recognized that the manager was just a character back then. As far as people knew on TV, that manager was taking care, like he had to go to school or something to take care of this guy's career. So nobody approached the wrestling office saying, hey, I want to be a manager. Gotcha. They'd approach saying, hey, I want to be a wrestler, and then they'd get run off. Okay. You know, or or whatever. So it wasn't an option today, like where people know it's fake. Well, I'm not big enough to do that, but I know I can do this. Right. There's no man, you know, there's hardly any managers on TV anymore. So it's not, Vince has kind of done away with that because he considers it's too Southern, you know. Right. And and so there's not as many, like the wrestling schools I'm involved in, they say, sure, so-and-so is going to be a manager. It's like, well, how many managers are you going to have? Right. No, absolutely. So. I think that that definitely is a problem, which is funny, too, to think that Vince now thinks it's too Southern. But you look at that, the heyday when it was, Heenan, Slick, Fuji, Blassie, Jimmy Hart. I mean, it was the whole card top to bottom. Well, that was then. Right, and I understand that, and that's, you know. You know, they used to call championships belts. Right, right. No, I know, and things change, but uh, that it was such uh, a thing. It was definitely every match had its own manager. Um, again, so uh, let's get to these territories. Let's talk a little bit about... Uh, is there anyone that jumps out to you at a specific territory that you would say, when I think of you know this territory, this is the manager that I think that was uh, holding down the heel factions? There? Well, Bobby Heenan, the AWA, the yes. Bobby Heenan family. 
Uh, East Coast, you had Fred Blassie. Albano. Was it Fred Blassie, Albano, and the Grand Wizard? But there was kind of like Albano got the tag teams, Fred Blassie got the foreign people. Yeah. And Grand Wizard got everybody else. Right. Um, well, he did, and he had superstar Billy Graham, didn't he? Uh, do we have a reading on the internationals? Yep, Carl von Brauner. And just wait, just wait. Is it an Australian? I have Australian. Okay. Who is it? Uh, Al Costello. Al yes. Costello. Yes, Al Costello, one of the uh, kangaroos. Yeah, okay. A vegetarian. Really? And a shooter. Uh, are, what, oh, like a, a shooter. Sh- no, no, a shooter like he could legitimately wrestle. Do you know, have you ever heard of the uh, MMA fighter Frank Mir? Yeah, I've heard of him, yes. He tested positive. He pissed hot uh-huh. for uh, <laughs> steroids or whatnot. Uh-huh. And he had his doctor himself when they were kind of protesting it. He claimed that it might have been because he ate kangaroo meat. Okay. Yes. So just thought I'd share that one. Um, so, okay. So we had the... the what they were Who called was what? the baseball guy that didn't do steroids, period? Canseco? No, not Canseco. It was some other jerk that was like pointing at the... And then later got popped for it. I don't know. He was a jerk. I don't know. I don't know baseball names too much. Okay. I just remembered this guy because he got, it was just the. Mark McGuire? No, no. It was lower level than that. Okay. Anyway. So anyhow. Yes. Rafael Palmero. Oh, is it Palmiero? Palmiero. Yes. All right. Well, we'll talk about that one on our. Well, it was just don't. Baseball podcast. You knew you were dirty. Right. So. They were called the Unholy Trinity. Was that it or the Unholy Or the Unholy Three or something. I think that was an after mag thing. Yeah. But they just had the rotating managers that would come in. And who was taking on Backlund at that time, right? Who was taking on Backlund or uh, whatever. Bruno and Pedro. Yeah. That was the the three champions going around. Yeah. So they had those three, so nobody else was really going to come in there. Gotcha. Uh, Going down to Florida, you had like Sir Oliver Humperdinck, uh, Georgia. What did you think of Sir Oliver Humperdinck? I wasn't really a fan, but I also don't know if I saw the right material. I kind of feel the same way. Like, I don't feel like I ever got... The only taste I really ever got was when he did the WWF deal with um, oh, Bam Bam, which is no. bad. And I know I've seen some Florida stuff, but I don't think I've seen good Florida stuff, enough for me to appreciate what he was doing. Right. I think... Well, he was a actually a Minnesota guy Yeah. Uh, that I think fell in... So so that's how he got into the business. He was a like an usher at the Minneapolis Auditorium. Okay. And that's how he got in. But then I think he got in with that brain trust of guys around Florida, like Dusty and them. So that's why he was brought into WCW later as a favor as what Big Daddy Dink or whatever right, right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Where he wasn't really going to have a deal. But like that was his... Like his heyday was in when Dusty was on top of Florida... But now I'm thinking of all the managers they would have had there. Gary Hart managed Pac Song. Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Humper, yeah. I don't know who he was with. J.J. Uh, Dillon was around because he worked the office. Of course, J.J. Dillon was later. Right. So, like, in the 70s. Like, I think uh, Humperdinck's height would have been in the mid-70s. Okay, gotcha. You know, and then yeah. just hung around and got fat after that. Sure, sure. Um, now, let's talk Memphis. Uh, just wait. Oh, no, sure. not yet. Uh, because in Georgia, you had Homer Odell. Okay. Which was rumored to be Missy Hyatt's uncle or something like that. Oh, really? That. But not true because Missy Hyatt is adopted. But he was uh, an older guy that 
was around back in the day, but just couldn't uh, couldn't get rid of the couldn't get out of the business. Sure, sure. So he was a manager, and then went from being a manager to like driving a cab. You know, yeah. Just I I don't want to say a success story, but like the typical story of just a wrestler that had it all and pissed it all away. Right. Uh, Memphis. Yes. When you think Memphis, do you think Jimmy Hart or do you think Tojo Yamamoto? Jimmy Hart. Yeah. Because Tojo wasn't a manager until he couldn't wrestle anymore. Right. Yeah, so I guess... Because Tojo was always a wrestler. Right. Well, how, well, how late did he wrestle till? I... Had to be. I mean, but seven, so... Seven, 7.30. Yes, and then that was it. Nice. That was a good one. Um, <laughs> how long was Jimmy Hart in Memphis for? Uh, so when did Lawler break his leg? Um, see, Jerry Jarrett broke off 77. Yeah. I'm going to say 80, 81 until Vince called him up in 85. Yeah, so he was there for quite a while then. Yeah. Okay, got it. But he was also from there. He went to the same high school as Jerry Lawler. Sure. But I think was a grade or two ahead. Gotcha. And then they got involved later when Lawler was getting involved in the music world and they were going to record an album with the Gentries. And Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Hart were the only two that weren't getting high or anything like that. (laughs) Right. And then they set up that bond and... Was it with uh, Jimmy's was personality the, brought him into the business? What and, was Jerry Lawler's song? Was it "Dancing with Girls" or something like that? Oh, he he had several. Yeah, but well, I, I there's one you're thinking of. I it know. was like "Dancing Dancing with Girls" or something like that. Sure. You ever hear that one, Kyle? Yeah. And Wimp Busters. You've yeah. heard. Oh no, that's all late stuff. There, there's there's a stuff. lot of stuff earlier. There, there's like, a lot. There's earlier stuff. Yeah, like he's got what it takes, and uh, okay. Jerry Lawler, he's the king, and he can do yeah, anything. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, and then like a wimpy, well, not wimpy, but like a bad news, which is kind of a country song. But sure. then he also did the B-side of Jimmy Valiance. For a small, not to say a small territory, but for the Memphis territory, I feel like they had a lot of managers come through there. Yes, but that was also the nature of the business in Tennessee. Okay. Um, remember, the Tennessee territory was always, you know, centrally located, but went into, you know, X number of different states. Sure. So they had like three crews running every night. So it would be like Bruno was one of the, right? Like, oh, uh, Downtown Bruno. Downtown Bruno was one. So you're talking later. I was talking. But it's, uh, so Hart was gone by the time of Downtown Bruno? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah Jimmy Hart so. was gone, what, well, yeah, 84, 85? Downtown Bruno was then like 88, 89, 90, like kind of in that the later years of... Yes, I'd say Jimmy Hart was gone in 85 because he was with uh, one of the WrestleManias. Yes. Like the first WrestleMania. He was Jimmy on. Hart was with WrestleMania 1? Maybe. Uh-oh, Definitely Kyle. around by WrestleMania 2 because he managed uh, the Funks against Junkyard Dog. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's when he was already out of Memphis. Yeah. Which which makes sense. I just always uh, felt like there were so many managers that came out of that area. I don't know. Maybe it was me. Well, but that was, it was the nature of the business. It was a weekly territory, sure. so you could bring somebody in. Oh, if they don't work out, six weeks later they're gone. So there's Jimmy Hart, uh, brother Ernest Angley or Ernest Angel or whatever they called him. Right. Uh, uh, was, Nate uh, Nate the Rat. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, right. like M- Mickey Pool. You know, it's like Lawler's. Oh, you're gonna be my best friend. You're gonna be a manager sure, for a sure. while. They um so does that explain too when you talk about them working the territory and having different spots to go and splitting their crowd, does that explain like say like the uh, Sheik Adonel Casey um, Bobby Heenan stuff, like they were because they were AWA at the same time, correct? Uh, same time, but I don't know if they would be used in different capacities. At yeah, different shows. like well, like Heenan had his family, 
So that was a group of wrestlers. But then the Sheik, oh, yeah. uh, like the Sheik was only really a manager for, like became a manager in the 80s. Yes, right, right. Because he was a wrestler previous to that going around the territories as Billy White Wolf. So was there, very, there was very little time with Heenan and, the, and Sheik uh, at an LKC in AWA together, correct? R- correct. So, because it was almost like once Heenan decided to go WWF, that's when Sheik started kind of dealing with. Well, he became the de facto manager, manager of everybody, because the Sheik managed. Uh, when I got into it, the Sheik was managing Patera and Blackwell. Gotcha. As the Sheiks, and then later on, he would bring in the foreign menaces or whatever. Hey, and just so you know, for all the people at home yelling at their iPhones, Jimmy Hart managed King Kong Bundy on WrestleMania one against SD Jones. There you go. So, yeah, told you. Yeah. So that do you if you had to pick a territory that had the best managers, is there one that you think was uh, one that stood out above all others? Or do well, you think just wait. We're, we're ignoring the, the one manager that everybody's going to bring up. And who's that? Jim Cornette. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to kind of save him for his. Now, own Jim thing. Cornette came out of came out of Memphis. Yes. Uh, was there the same time as Jimmy Hart. And that's why they had to get rid of Jim Cornette because they already had Jimmy Hart. Right. So that's why they fostered him off on Bill Watts, and he was able to develop there okay, as, a, gotcha. as a manager. So that's how that all worked out. Yes. So, again, it wasn't really a, a breeding ground for new wrestlers because you already had that spot covered. Right, right. Um, and I guess, too, we should probably talk about Texas a little bit as well because that was – was that the – well, Gary Hart was Florida before Texas? Yeah, Florida, Detroit – yeah, he he traveled. He he's definitely traveled. Yeah, who would? Uh, well, Gary Hart was unique as a manager because he would genuinely like guide guide his charges sure. career. Right, like help train the Ultimate Warrior by telling him what worked. Helped help bring out Kabuki. Like he would develop careers. So yes. that's how he looked at it, as opposed to like he did not like being told by the promoter, "Ah, you're going to the ring with this person." Yeah. You know, did not like that. Gotcha. Um, so you had that personality as Jimmy Hart tra- or Gary Hart, um, but Gary Hart was also the booker for Texas. Yes. So, you know, so he was involved that way. So he could bring in somebody to bring him up, but he was always he was always there anyway. Okay, sure. And yeah. then you got the people like Skander Akbar, who was a former wrestler that right, right. You know, may or may not have owned part of the territory, but they just wanted around. So, okay, now you're going to be a manager too. Sure, right. Because having those presences in the locker room would help guide the talent by either telling stories or, hey, I was watching your match, you didn't do this right. So there were ways to keep them. So you kept um, Skandor Akbar around. You kept Bronco Lubitsch around as a ref. Right. Because everybody told those stories. Okay, gotcha. Uh, even up in the WWF, you kept Arnold Scotland around as manager of champions, but he was really one of the minority owners and liked to... Sure, yep. Like, uh, Carmine always used to say that Arnie Scotland's only job was to hand out the envelopes. <laughs> right, right. Like, didn't do anything except play cards backstage till the end of the night. Here you go, boys. And boom, then that boom, was boom, that. Boom. Arnie Scotland, incidentally, was a, a shooter back in the day. Yes. In the 50s, like, very tough. Really? As the golden boy. Ah. Kyle thinks you mean with a gun, but we know what he really we know what you mean. Right. Those of us listening. Cigars and Conversations presents Mailbag. A dramatic reading of fan letters culled from the pages 
of classic wrestling magazines. This time, the letters come from the March 1989 issue of Victory Sports Series, The Wrestler. Warrior Reactions This letter is being written after I learned that the Road Warriors have finally won the NWA World Tag Team Championship. It has been far too long since the Legion of Doom has held a world title. And who really cares if they had to turn their backs on Lex Luger, Sting, and Dusty Rhodes? If a person was a real fan of Hawk and Animals, they would be happy for them and offer their congratulations. And if you remember correctly, the Warriors never asked to be cheered. And they definitely never asked for anyone's help to fight their battles. If you remember again, it was always, please help us, Warriors. We can't handle the four horsemen by ourselves. Come to our rescue. So now... Maybe the Legion of Doom will join with the remaining horsemen and form a truly unbeatable unit. Mike McFarlane, Meadville, Pennsylvania. Hate for Love. I'm writing in response to Chris Shepard's letter, Love for Love, in the January 1989 issue of The Wrestler. Shepard's as insane as Brother Love. Brother Love does not belong in wrestling. He belongs in some mental institution. And as far as the honky-tonk man goes, Chris, that man's voice sounds like someone stepped on a cat. He uses singing as an excuse for carrying his guitar when he really only uses it to hurt people. The guitar, not the singing, that is. He and Brother Love should be run out of the WWF. Now, addressing demolition. The tag team Shepard loves so much. Have you forgotten, Chris, how Demolition won the belts? It was at WrestleMania 4. Rick Martell of Strikeforce had smashed in a Boston Crab when Mr. Fuji distracted the referee. Then, Axe hammered Martell and put Smash on top for the pin. They would never have the belts without Mr. Fuji. Stop kidding yourself, Chris. If the Honky Tonk Man and Demolition are so good, why do they cheat so much? And thank God you'll never find something like Brother Love in the NWA. Jacob Ackle, Jacksonville, Florida. A real champion. In your January 1989 issue, Bob Smith's blindsided column bemoaned the fact that nobody pays attention to the light heavyweight wrestlers. Well, let me tell Mr. Smith something. I pay plenty of attention to the great light wrestlers. Why? Because, like Smith, I realize that they're the most exciting. That's why. Here's an example. Last week in Dallas, I witnessed a world-class card. On this card, Eric Embry, the very definition of what a light heavyweight wrestler should be, reclaimed his world-class light heavyweight title from Jeff Jarrett. I want Bob Smith to know that I loved every minute of this match. These two guys certainly show that a main event pitting two 270-pound behemoths is not nearly as exciting as watching the high-flying, quick-moving light heavyweights. So, stop all your beefing, Smith. There's plenty of great light heavyweight action down here in Texas. And with Embry holding the belt, you can be sure there'll be plenty of matches. He doesn't run away from his opponents like the heavyweight champions do.
Ken Rosenberg, Denton, Texas. Mr. Perfect? I'm writing to say that WWF newcomer Kurt Hennig isn't as perfect as he's billed. Kurt said on TV that he was perfect ever since he was a baby. This, however, is just not true. Kurt Hennig is not Mr. Perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Most fans of the WWF may not remember, but on May 9th, 1988, Kurt lost his AWA world title to Jerry Lawler in front of a huge crowd. And if Kurt wants to go on calling himself Mr. Perfect, that's fine. If he's going to do that, though, he better realize that the truly perfect person admits to his failings. Kurt, however you want to be called, you can't be Mr. Perfect. You brag too much. And for that, you have nothing to back it up. Scott Timichin, Guiderland, New York. And our last entry. Hooray for Damien. I have never written to a wrestling magazine, but I felt I had to after watching Andre the Giant attack Jake the Snake Roberts. I was extremely pleased to watch how Jake stood up to the Giant. Roberts even got Damien out of the sack and wrapped him around Andre's neck. Thousands of fans cheered, and I was one of them. I think the whole incident would have been a lot better if Roberts had also wrapped Damien's tail around Bobby Heenan's neck. That would have really given the fans a thrill for their money. It might have also taught the weasel a lesson or two. My advice to Jake Roberts is to have plenty of imitation snakes on hand. Now that we know that Andre is so deathly afraid of snakes, Jake can start by throwing plastic ones at the giant. Then, when the time is right, he can bring Damien out. This plan will surely keep Andre and Heenan on the run, where they belong. Ine Cotter, Lamar, Missouri. I'm just trying to swing up the rest of the territories. Well, I mean, like, we... there's nobody that really stands out in California yeah. or San Francisco or Portland that wasn't necessarily anywhere else. Well, I was going to say, too, I kind of feel like a lot of the guys, when you're looking through California, I think personalities were larger than life. When it came to there, and that a lot of guys didn't need that speaking. Sure. Well, there were managers around. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But it, like, it wasn't a featured. They just didn't stand out because the personalities were there in right. the ring that were able to work right. it out, or the promotional style just didn't utilize them. As sure. Much. Um, what about we're looking at Carolinas? Uh, talk about that real quick too. We get in there. Number one, Paul Jones. Sure. Well, um, again, Paul Jones wasn't a manager until we started watching. Right. He was right. a wrestler. He was for a the wrestler time. Bef- before that point. David James Joplin. Yeah, so I, I think when you uh, I always say that <laughs> you look at these you look at a lot of these guys, and again, it turns into that men who worked in the business at one point and then uh, as wrestlers and then yeah. got turned because of the age or whatever it is. Yeah, or it might be. got injured, but you still wanted their influence around in the locker room and stuff like that. What? Uh, tell me about your like managers. Uh, tell me about managers. We've been talking about them. Tell me about your favorites like what do you have do you have like a top three do you have a top five is it too hard or there are they too individualized you like some for specific things is there anybody that stands out to you that like this is the one i like um i feel like you're a gary hart guy uh no i just have gary hart's book right but gary hart at the ring especially when i was watching 
uh, wasn't that active and didn't do that much. But isn't because that he'd already been through two plane crashes and stuff like that. But you couldn't get the payoff for Gary Hart because you couldn't he bump him. He never got that. He never got bumped. You couldn't bump him. Right. And that was always the comeuppance. That's why Cornette was always so good. I like once I was though. training and understood what Cornette was doing, I loved watching him as a manager. But now it's like, oh, okay. That's sure, sure. Manager See, I guess that was the – Gary Hart is what sold me that a manager uh, – was real like I felt like it the added that air of believability to it because he wasn't getting manhandled a lot he actually he was able to flee the situations right um and the way he handled himself I always thought was great I thought he was a great calm around with the storm around him whether it be Abdullah missing link kabuki he was a great I like the straight man to the weirdos so to speak. Right. And I always felt like that really sold Gary Hart to me as someone that I really enjoyed. Okay. That's um, fun. So I just, just saying, but like, is there anybody though? Like, is there like a quintessential, like you're like, this is, I like, a, we were raised on AWA. Yeah. So I like Heenan. Yeah. But just to short circuit your question. No, there's nobody that's the or manager because there's so many different styles. Yeah. I personally, like when I'm managing or seconding somebody, I will copy Heenan because Heenan would always say, wrestle like a manager and manage like a wrestler sure and so he would sell more from the outside so i'm to to portray his investment in the person in the ring so i'm a i'm a fan of that personally but then you had jj Dillon and gary hart that would manage at ringside is like nope they were watching their investment they were very calm you know so that was a different style right and then you had the Jim Cornette slash indie manager of, oh, I'm such a big personality. Everybody look at me, blah, 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 which personally I hate because they never know how to turn it down enough to let the subtleties of the match get over before inserting their personality. Which is the question I was going to ask you. Like, what what do you feel? How do you feel about managers that are a little too much of a personality, a little bit too on? Thank you. You answered. Well, I just I'll cut to the chase. Don't step on my shit. Right. Uh, That's that's what I don't like. It's. The manager has to interact with the people in the crowd and the ref or the people in the match and the referee enough so that they can get their stuff in and then go back to what the people need to see in the ring. Right. Uh, I've always felt that like the people people's eyes, it's like steering a ship. You can spin the wheel as fast as you can, but the people's eyes are only gonna move this much. Sure. So if the manager is going to do something, that's going to take time for the people to stop what they're watching and turn and look at the manager. He does this stuff, and then they have to stop what they're doing and turn and look at the people in the ring. So you have to have that element of timing in whatever's going on. I, for one, hate when managers turn around and try to exchange one-liners with the crowd when I'm trying to do something in the match. It's like you're bringing all the attention on you. You're not contributing my match. You're just trying to get over. Right. And that's a problem with a lot of managers on the indie scene is like nobody's guiding them that way to the the proper way of here's here's when you insert your stuff you can do whatever you want from here to here but after that you better be sitting on your hands looking at me in the ring acting like you care what's going on right um nobody i don't nobody kyle might not even know this i got the chance to manage you once down in chicago that's right yes um kyle did you know that no. i got to i got to uh, manage Derek in chicago one time and I thought that you had very sage advice uh, in that match. And that's the thing that you said that stuck with me was you said, don't step on my shit. Yeah. 
and I was able to get in and cut a little bit of a cut the promo. I, I remember I was doing the clubs and I was wondering how long you were going to go with the promo because I had to figure out how long I yes. had to go with the clubs. The one thing you let me do, which was great, uh-huh. uh, was at the end of the match when you had lost and I r- jumped into the ring. Uh, you said it was okay that I pretend I got my foot hooked on the second row. Oh, absolutely. And I took the bump. Absolutely. And th- that cra- cracked the crowd up pretty good. But that was good. But I felt like your guidance was exactly it. I needed to be on the outside of the ring. Anytime you did a power move, I was look at what he just did. I accentuated you uh-huh. as the monster that you were in that match as opposed to me trying to get lippy with the crowd. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to fight. It mm-hmm. really is because you want to turn around and you want to mm-hmm. engage them in that, but you have to be engaged in the match. Because like you said, you, like technically, you are my investment and I should be vested right. 100% in the match and I should be showing off and building up what you've done. Yeah. So that was good times, Kyle. It's a long time. Good yeah. time. That was in 2009 because yeah. I still have the poster up at my house. There you go. Yeah, can you believe that? That was great. We had. Uh, it was definitely um, an experience to say the least. There's some other fun stuff I'll tell you about off the. Uh... Oh, there was a deathmatch wrestler in your minivan that was giving you the death stare the whole time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was great. So I was just driving. So yeah, I drove a carload of guys down. Uh, yeah, it's what happens. But whatever, it's fine. Um, it was, again, that was good stuff. PBR madness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also a product of, yes. I was wondering if you were going to bring that back. Reverend up. Axel future. Yes. So yeah. So boy, he's really kind of come up a lot lately. Would he ever come on the podcast? Does uh, he have anything to offer enough to anything good? Yes. I think he'd be great. Can we uh, Skype we, him in? Oh, I was going to say, we've got to fly him in from Philly, but no, we could Skype him in. Okay. Does he know how to use Skype? Uh, I'm going to refer that to my technical person, Let's which, talk which, which is you. Kyle, do we know how to do, can we talk to this guy about, All right. we so we, I'm sure, up? I'm sure we could figure it out. Very nice. No, I think anyway, be, so are there any other managers we need to go through? Well, I mean, I have a list of them. I just want to throw some names sure. at you and just give me like uh one. Yeah. You know, what's the thing that comes to your I head? got it. I got it. Um, you got that? Uh, Eddie Creechman. Uh, yeah, he was Jewish. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, well seen in the movie. I'd like to hurt people. Absolutely. And his son Floyd. Yeah, Floyd yes. Creechman. I was going to ask you about that. What that was his son? Yes. Okay. Uh, always liked uh, Creechman. I liked that sometimes he'd call himself the Creech. Oh, okay. I thought that was kind of cool. I just love him, and I like to hurt people when okay. he's arguing with uh, the wizard. Uh, again, yeah, great movie too. If you haven't seen it, yeah. um, what about Johnny Valiant? Well, it was, he was a wrestler. Yeah. He was a wrestler that was just well-known for his quick wit, so that's why they gave him the managing gig. Okay. Um, what about uh, Baby Doll? Again, valet more than manager? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say she's a valet. Uh, and when I say this, uh, like a manager would generally take a more active interest or a more active role at ringside or in interviews, whereas a valet is there to be looked at. Uh, can you name, was there ever a female quote unquote manager, someone that stuck out as like the business dealing, like played that role? Uh, well, I'd almost say it goes as late as Alexandra York. That's what I was, that's what yeah. I was thinking as well. But um, there was her and, uh, very early Tammy Sitch. Sure. She was in Smoky Mountain. Gotcha. Like I thought that was an interesting concept, but previous to that, no, not really. Cause wasn't the Tammy Sitch one, like her, her daddy was rich or something like yeah, that? Yeah, she went to Wellesley School that Hillary Clinton had gone to. Yes. Huh. Do you hear how much tickets are for that show? Oh, <laughs> sorry. Anyway. 
Hillary, yeah, Hillary Clinton's coming to speak here, and like the cheapest ticket's like two hundred eighty dollars. Okay. So that that's not a political statement. This is a lot to pay for any kind of a. Anything. Oh, it's two hundred eighty dollars. Yeah. I paid a hundred dollars to see Martin Short perform a one man show. That was really good. Yeah, seems about right. I, I guess. Had, uh, I mean, it's expensive, but it seems about second right. Second row, it was great. Did he have a manager? He did not have a manager. Oh. Uh, we've talked about him a couple times, but haven't really gone into him. What are your thoughts on Lou Albano? Uh, he was there. He was all over the place to me. Yeah, well, he was, like, talking to Rocco, you had to be there, but he was just the manager that was on TV. Right. And he was the big personality. But by the time I started to see him around the Rock and Wrestling Connection, he was already into his shtick as opposed to, you know, an actual threat. Why did they put him with the Bulldogs? Because he was a baby face. And that was it. But it seemed like... A, uh, put him with the Bulldogs because they were the so, dream team was managed by Johnny Valiant. So they needed to have that. Right. Other, okay, gotcha. Because I was going to say, because they were so over the Bulldogs that it's like they didn't It's like they didn't need him. Why did they need Ozzy Osbourne? Well, because it's Ozzy Osbourne. Um, all right. Didn't even know he was at a wrestling match. <laughs> it's true. Mr. Fuji. Again, another ex-wrestler. Right. He just got slotted into that. Office role. Good Ribber. Yes, that's what I've heard. Um, Hillbilly Jim. Come on. <laughs> I'm just now. I'm just throwing some garbage okay. at you. Any, but what do you think is the last pure manager? Uh, well, currently it's Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. Yeah. D- uh, cultivating and changing the gimmick to it's like I'm the agent. Yeah. Taking it and uh, yeah. stylizing it like that, which makes sense. Yeah. I just thought that that worked really well. Um. I don't know. I, managers. Uh, was that it for your There's list? a bunch, but well, I just Come like, on, let's keep going. Would you want, okay, let's... Uh, we can let's always cut what we don't want. Adnan Al Casey. Yeah, he Just was didn't there. like it? Well, I mean, it was just... He was the de facto manager in the AWA. He went And it was always the same interview every time. Right, right. You know? And he was the manager of Monsters, basically, right? Would you say? In- yeah, but... Yeah. And uh, he did the whole... Uh, Bob Orton arm broken thing for what seemed like an eternity yes. as well too. Yes. Um, very good. We talked about Arnold Scott. Which is now that's an that's gonna be another quest for me to find out who was the first to do the broken arm gimmick. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Ooh, I think that's a podcast episode. Who was the first? Okay. That would be pretty awesome. Like okay. try to we'll come up with some stuff and see if we can uh come up with enough. Uh people out there Everything listening. was done by Paul Bosch. Yes. Everybody out there, give us some. Who was the first person to wear an Armcast. Who was the first person to wear cowboy boots? By the way, Starcade coming back. Yeah, Kyle whatever. pointed out. Yep, clearly there'll be no Western boots. No Western boots. Um. Oh, I found out uh, those boots are not made anymore because what I read was the guy, the old guy that made them retired. So I believe that was Clifford Messias out of Houston. Okay. That made the boots, but there are cheap. Mexican knockoffs available on, is it that mtzwear.com or whatever? Okay. I think I've heard of that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So they'll make boots. All right. So I'm going to just literally whip out a bunch of names here. Excuse me. Hello. Uh, and you just. Yeah. What first, we were, what I know, we but I'm saying, I'm really going to go to it. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to see if I can stick you with some of these. Excuse me. Uh, Angelo Mosca. He wasn't a manager. He managed Angelo Mosca Jr. Oh, dear Lord. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Incidentally, look up the match between Ivan Koloff and Angelo Mosca Jr. Yeah. So you just see Koloff like 
earning his money that night. What about, um, are you familiar with Boss Winders? No. No? Oh, wait. Boss Winders? Boss. Yeah, Boss Winders. Uh, south somewhere. I think a Memphis, Memphis type deal. Buck Robley? Colonel Buck Robley. Don't call him yellow. He was a wrestler, a wrestler that became a manager and okay. a booker. Um, how about um, Bunny Love? Oh, sure. Uh, with uh, Paul Christie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got a few chapters in his book, which is interesting, but needs an editor really bad. Chicky Star? Uh, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. That's just, just the one word in that kind of throws two words. it out there. Um, Dark Angel. Dark Angel? Are you that sure one. you don't mean Dark Journey? No, I was going to. That's the next one down. Dark Journey? Uh, yeah, Dark Journey was a cup of coffee in UWF. Uh, Dr. Mark Curtis, otherwise known as Brian Hildebrand. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there you go. What about Dutch Mantel? Did, so he started out as a wrestler. Um, and I'm not did talking, he? Yes, I'm talking about his later stuff. I'm talking about his... Uh, did he manage a lot during the mid, like the eighties at all? Or was he still full on wrestling at that time? Oh, uh, he was still wrestling, but like he had a mouth on him so they could use him in both roles. Okay. I mean, not a mouth as in he was like, but he could talk. So they, they used him. He could just, just able to maximize his talents. Like, Oh, you're good. We just, we'll pay you, but we're going to use you as a wrestler. But I mean, but much like you again, like you've been managed people have everybody. It's like the list of managers is actually just endless because right. pretty much everybody in some capacity, whether it's Eddie Gilbert or sure, uh, you know, or it's, it's any of these people that have managed. Well, what are your thoughts when uh, Freddie Blassie became a manager? Did I you like him or was alive. it too alive? Well, no, but no, but when, when did he stop wrestling? Mid seventies, so like seventy five. Okay, so yes, okay, so he stopped wrestling then. And when we knew him, he was still so old. He never did anything particularly great. He was another one so frail he couldn't get. Well, wait. Uh, He, I, I have seen footage of him getting bumped as a manager, but he also contributed the cane for uh, Sheik and Volkov to win the titles. Titles, right? And then it was shortly after that he came off the road. Gotcha. So, like, he was a manager up until that point. But when I started watching WWF, he was just one of the managers that was up there. That was what the Trinity had turned into Blassie, Fuji, and Albano. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Percy we didn't Pringle. even talk about Percy Pringle. Uh, was actually a childhood best friend of Michael Hayes. They both grew up in the Pensacola area. And then, Did you hear that, people? Kyle only knew him as Paul Bearer. Oh, I know. It happens. <laughs> it happens. Um, all right. But like, they they hung out and both broke into the business together, and he yes. just chose to become a manager for whatever reason. Um, what about Frenchie Martin? Ex wrestler. Yeah. So another uh, ex wrestler uh, was very close with Rick Martel's family. Okay. And uh, we've sp- spoken to him before. We talked about George Cannon with the fabulous kangaroos, right. correct? Um, well, George Cannon had a lot of, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, the, uh, what do you think when they bring in someone like uh, Hiro Matsuda and he does that weird managing in World uh, Championship Wrestling? Was that more of like a, he was like a... He's a friend of the office. Yeah, and it, but they had him do his thing where it was... Um, he was like the associate or like... Or JTEX or whatever. Yeah, the, be- the It was just a, it was a variation of the the gimmick right um what about izzy slapowitz familiar yes uh like wrestle icw Mm -hmm. stuff like that um i want to say was very present on 
the message boards regarding like the Phil Golden and the Kentucky area wrestling like that and worked with ICW as well. Sure. Would you view someone like Ivan Koloff as a manager or do you just view no. him as he was just, he was just there? Like kind of, he was part of that team and yeah, not, uh, what about John Tolos? Ex wrestler. Ex wrestler. Well, but he didn't his... manage until he became the coach. Right. And then that was, and they kind of kept him away from now. Here's a real controversial one. Okay. All right. This is one. A lot of people will talk about this. Okay. Um, some people felt like he was incredibly involved with this wrestler's career. Uh-huh. Some people fa- say he was just a figurehead. Some people say that this man helped this wrestler get to the top. Some people say he was nothing but a deterrent. Kim Chi. Next. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine. Um, yeah, that was the handler. Oh, yeah, Kyle. That was the handler for Kamala. Uh, we've talked about Miss Elizabeth. Do you know there's a Miss Linda? Who's that? Um, Adrian Street. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was Incidentally, I just introduced a group of wrestling students to the wonder of imagine what I can, can do. do to fantastic! You. And they just sat there with their jaws open. That's great. Always a good. Yeah, that's always a great one if people haven't seen that. Yes. Um, are, uh, we've talked Missy High. We talked Mr. Fuji. You've mentioned Nate the Rat before. Um, we've talked Paul Ellering, Paul Dangerously, or what was it? Dangerly? Dangerly. Paulie <laughs> Dangerly. Um, Paul Jones. Always loved Paul Jones. We've talked really? about him in the past. You're the first person I've ever heard say that. I've always loved him as a manager. Okay. I think it was more so I loved the stable of guys. Fair enough. Uh, I so thought he had a great kooky, one of those weird, and he was always feuding with Boogie Woogie Man. Jimmy Valiant. So. Close person. Um, I was, <laughs> I was a huge mark for Kabuki as well. Right. Um, and because he scared me. Right. And now when I look back and see all that stuff, I'm like, he's real scrawny and not defined. Oh, that's who uh, Kabuki was in the match with Bobby Heenan that I referenced Oh, is earlier. that what it was? Yeah. Was he in full gimmick yep. and everything? Yep. Uh, what about Red Berry? Wild Red Berry? Yes. Uh, he was, let's see, he managed the Kangaroos way back in the day. And who did he help break into the business? Oh, Larry Sharp. Okay. Um, like he was very old. Larry Sharp met him when he was still in high school, and it's like, oh, when when you get done with your education, send me a letter. Blah 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 blah. Like sent him a letter. Uh, Wild Red Berry told him to go meet Gorilla Monsoon, but then Wild Red Berry passed away. So again, this was all by letters, and Gorilla yeah, Monsoon yeah. did. Say, oh yeah, Larry record. Wild Red Berry mentioned you go ahead and come on backstage. Oh, really? So it was like a, a weird deal there. But Wild Red Berry's deal was he was very erudite and would use the the 50-cent words all the time. Gotcha. Um, this guy drives me crazy. Okay. Ronnie P. Gossett. Yeah. Yeah. Southern, did, Southern manager. Southern whatever. manager didn't like just really. He know he. Did you ever see the episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets so fat he wears the moo moo and wears right. like the Dom DeLuise hat? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like that always reminded me of. Yeah. Uh, of him. Here's one that I will say I might want to challenge you on whether she's a valet or she's a manager. Okay. Sherry Martell. While she's a wrestler, I felt that she served more as a manager than a valet. I think she definitely was a valet for some people, but I think. Uh, manager like Harlem Heat, I thought uh, she served more of a of a purpose in that role. Uh, whereas maybe she's more of a valet for a Shawn Michaels. Fair enough. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree she can uh, work both sides. Um, stately Wayne Manor. 
haven't seen him, only knew him for doing commentary on, uh, like there was a set of videos from Japan that was released on VHS in the United States, like in the late 80s, that I remember wanting to find because there was footage of Jimmy Snuka on there and I want to know where Jimmy Snuka was. Okay. And then also may have had a column in Main Event Wrestling Magazine. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And even did a photo shoot one time with one of the other wrestling editors or writers where they like were doing like a feud in the magazine. Yeah. And then they had like a match uh, and then they snapped pictures of oh, it. Oh, I never saw that. Yeah, it was okay. not great. Um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Stately Wayne Manor. Stately Wayne Manor. Um, Teddy, uh, Teddy Long, I know started that one. A different one started as a referee. Yeah. Made his way into uh, managerial work. Did you like him or was he just there? I felt it was just kind of like we need an African-American manager to manage Doom. Yeah. That was kind of the, the start of it, right? Yeah. And there was also the weird match that Teddy Long had with Paul Ellering where Loser had to get their head shaved. But yes. they were both like three quarters bald. Right. And how interesting is it to think that back then you watch that old footage and they called him Peanut Head? Yep. Which is incredibly racist. Um, Why? Be, I thought I always thought it was. Cause, well, maybe this is me being a kid and thinking uh, like the, uh, a, a brown head. Oh, okay. This is me as a kid. Please, not right now. I don't. I just thought that was a racist term. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong. Okay. Yeah, I only I only took that to mean a lack of intelligence rather than racist. No, I see, but I think a peanut it's has not like, like a big burrhead. round dome. No, I know, which is terrible. I can't Bur- believe you just said it. Well, Burhead Jones was a wrestler. I understand that. You're now he liked the- fat women. See, now you're really just pouring no. it on here. Speaking of African American, it was in a shoot DVD, which I did own at one point, specifically because it was a shoot DVD of Burhead Jones. Jones. Uh, Speaking of African Americans, uh, manager, valet, just a dude, Virgil. How would you classify Virgil? He's clearly not a manager because he didn't do anything. No, no, he would be more of an attendant. Yeah, he'd be like a valet just there to be seen. When you were given um, your manservant back in the day, Uh uh, were you, uh, did you view him as he was like your attendant and servant more than, uh, there was no play of him being your manager. He was just like your butler, your helper, correct? Correct. Correct. Very nice. How did you like that? Did that work out well? Or were you... Was it something you liked? Were you happy to get rid of it? Or what was your thoughts? I mean, it was okay, but uh, it was more a case of the the person portraying that didn't really have a direction in the business. Like, did you want to go somewhere with it or not? But he was just happy to just stay at home. So it was like, eh, okay. Then that's that. Yeah. Um, last one. Leave you on a big one here. Um, could go many different ways. Clarence Mason. Seriously? <laughs> well... I'm sorry. I'm just throwing a funny thing okay. at you. But uh, Clarence Mason, a lawyer, right? I wouldn't consider him much of anything. Big he was during only the time of the while. OJ trial, right? No. Was that OJ trial? Or was no, it I after? Was Attitude Era. So yeah. Maybe, and that's already out of our, out of our water. Out yeah, of our- but I mean, he wasn't around. I don't think he even made a year. Okay. I'm just, it was a name on the list. Oh, oh okay. Okay. I thought. There was also so many other names. I thought you were seriously building to a big one, so no, I was, getting, there's I was really not, settling in for it. we kind of covered everybody that we thought. I asked you who your favorites were, what do we think. Yeah. Ran the now, the role, the role of manager was mentioned in the uh, 
how to wrestle book or how to get into wrestling book that I bought from Percy Pringle and Dennis Brent. Yes. For fifteen dollars, uh, money order only because they wouldn't take checks. That's wrestling. Good stuff. But even then, they said, "Here's the role of manager." But look at how many managers you see on TV. That's right. your chances of getting in, which are even less than your chances of getting in with a wrestler, getting in as a wrestler, which are even less than anything else. Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an art that's gone and is, uh, I think it's seen its heyday. And I think now well, it's just not there anymore. Well, and, and again, this, this was for people that couldn't talk. Right. Like that's what the manager was for. So once once the the art of the interview has been blown away like interviews are very different now you're not done in front of the podium with somebody right right like even on indie shows i find it it's it's difficult to get somebody to hold my mic for me because the ring announcer is always like well no here you go i'm like no hold my friggin mic because you're gonna be my interviewer here." right right they just that that whole concept or construct of wrestling has passed away absolutely so i mean then that's fine yeah, I just uh, I miss it, but I don't miss it. I guess I don't. I'm I miss kind of, well, I'm like anything. I miss it when it's well done. I don't right. miss it when you know it's done crappy it's or just you, another person out at the ring. Yeah, or you get the the indie. I'm gonna be a manager, and I'm gonna do all this stuff, and it's like they don't get the concept of why a manager's there or what needs to be done for the good of the match. Right. It just doesn't seem like uh, at this point in time that it's necessary or that they can get themselves to a point that. Well, again, over. if if the show can be booked tightly enough and the presentation controlled, anything can get over. But it's a matter of there's not that doesn't happen on the shows. True. Um, this is probably just sour grapes on my point, but a good deal of the shows in the area, and I assume this is the same way all over, is you've got two or three matches that there's effort put into and everything else is the promoters or the booker's friends right. going out and playing. Do you know what I have a problem with? I have a problem uh, with... Back hair? Yes. I have a problem with um, young people in indie wrestling that are trying to portray a character as a manager, and it's so completely unbelievable. Yes. Um, and, I, and I mean this in the sense of like when I, I love when I see these... You know, 25-year-old guys wearing these Sears, ill-fitting suits that looks like they got stuffed in it that they're going to a friend's wedding. Yes. And they're playing characters where they're like, I run this corporation or I won't run or I do and I have the money. And it's like, you don't even look like you have the money. Uh, yes, there's that. I also hate the people that wear all of their Renaissance Fair gear. Yeah, managers. that's yeah, that's ridiculous. Oh, well. look at me! I've got all this leather gear. Uh, right. It's just like you wear that at home, don't you? Yeah, um, I've you know a, a while ago we had talked about the religious right a few episodes ago like that. That's the other thing. Like I look at managers and I'm like, there's nothing about you that looks successful, put together, or in control. And I always think that it's just such a take you out of the character but i'm also older so for me when i see it it's like i'm just not believing it i think they would be better off if they did like a joe francis character from like girls gone wild you're some trust fund baby in your 20s right hey let's party look i'm friends with these wrestlers or whatever it is like i think that would go over better than trying to pretend that you're but see right right there you've put more thought to it than thought into it than they have because they want to go out there and be cool right or play this character as opposed to what about my personality can I turn up 
to be this because the sad part is if they did that they would just turn up and become even more white trashy or whatever right it's like no you have to you have to stick to your strengths i can believe you're a ceo but not if you've got this ponytail that goes down to your back that you don't exactly wanna, that you don't want to cut off just because you still think right. it looks cool from when you were 17 right. or whatever or the uh, the other favorite I saw a while ago was the guy with the ill-fitting sport coat, and then he had the like silk silkish looking generic, most generic Hawaiian shirt you've ever sure. seen underneath it, um, like kind of like an all over print that it just looked really dumb. And I'm like, who is that? Like, who are you even trying to be? Like, you're not. And then he's like, I run this company, <laughs> and I'm like, really? Like that, you're not even... again. That's just that's just a, a poor, poorly put together gimmick. Right. Um, Looking through the eyes, and I'm not trying to d- d- disparage like a Walmart or something like that. But like it literally sometimes is like, oh, so that's what you think rich people look like, or that's what you kind of like, well, yeah, you know. Kinda. And it's like, and that's a very weird off base. And this goes into a larger thing of wrestlers cannot look like the people sitting in the crowd right otherwise there's no reason to see them Absolutely. like would you pay to see yourself right or are you just you know for lack of a better term are you just out there stroking yourself exactly you know right i try to be a wrestler i would want to see that's that's what i do well you know you are a wrestler we want to see derek thank you except i will say as we close the show out um not anymore a few weeks ago haha <laughs> Yes. A few weeks ago, uh, we did a screening of the movie Boone, the Bounty Hunter, here in Milwaukee. Yes, uh, with a friend of the show, John Morrison. Yes, and I, in, when I introduced the show, and I introduced myself, and I said, "I am with the podcast Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire." Unfortunately, Derek's not here tonight. You got booed out of the building, friend. Kyle was there. By like by the audience? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I said, "Derek's at home thinking of something to complain about." And then they laughed. Well, which is probably true. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but so I thought that was pretty funny. And anyways, any friends, any friends of the podcast that came out, thank you very much for supporting that show. We had a blast that night. Uh, let's wrap it up. How Sorry about I it? wasn't there, but I wasn't booked. Ah, see, that's how it is. Yes. Um, this has been so managers. What, the whole oh, construct yeah, of the manager. Stop me. Yes. Just basically there to talk for people that can't talk. Yes. And build heat for the match. Exactly. And get bumped in the end. That's why he's here. And by the way, if you ever need me again, you know where to reach me. What are you talking about? If you need a manager. If you need some help oh, 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 sure. Because okay. I do feel sometimes when I've heard you speak, you, your voice goes up a little uh, an octave or so. Me. It's because oh, I'm, I'm good at <laughs> It's not that high, but. Because I'm like three sentences ahead in my, you know, in yes. my head of where I'm. But I was like, I, I've always liked Derek yeah. on the stick. This is weird. <laughs> Okay, um, is that it? Can we wrap this up? This yeah, I thought, I thought there was another point I was going to make, but I'll come up with it later. And we can put it on the Facebooks. Sure. Very nice. This has been Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire, brought to you, you, exclusively by Astro Radio Z and iTunes, asking you to subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share the podcast with your friends. We'll see you soon, everybody. It was going to be the different styles of managers. That was it. 